Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Bible reading is taken from Romans 14, 1 to 9, and um, 19 to 21. At the end of the reading, I will end by saying, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Accept the ones whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does not does, does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this, is, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might not be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Okay, well, welcome. Welcome, guys. Thank you for coming. Um, My name is Femi. So we've been doing this series on the intersection between Christianity and politics. And of course, that is not um, coincidental that you know, the season that we're in um, warrants that. But I also think it is also something that we Christians should normally be equipped with, because we're going to practice our politics even after the election has uh, happened and is gone. So this is the final, or um, the fourth sermon in that series. And um, if you've not been able to listen to any of them, if this is your first time joining us, we have a sermon podcast called The Gospel in Lagos on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can check it out, okay? I should start with this uh, question. Um, How many of you have ever done something for a moment's pleasure that eventually regretted later? Yeah, think about it. Some of you don't even have to think too long, you know? They're just thinking, ah, just... Just think that night, one night, just like, ah, oh, I should never have done it. Oh. 
that night that we went out for dinner, <laughs> right? You went out for dinner. You know how it is. You go, you like, fit farm. But, but I can take a starter, appetizer. You know, they open it as your friend. And they're like, appetizer, I can't. I can't. You know, what's there? It's not going to. I'll take the skewer, the, the chicken skewer, you know, so it has vegetables. And since the vegetables are there, I'm taking some of my five a day, all right? So you deceive yourself and you eat that. And like, that's fine. And then the main meal comes. And because you're into fit farm, you don't eat like normal people, right? I eat rice, like not even brown rice, like real rice. That one they said is really polished and everything. That's normal people. But you want to eat quinoa. What's quinoa? That horrible. And you then pretend as though it all is very, very nice. It's not nice. You are suffering. Just take it, all right? So then you're like, you know what? I've taken quinoa, I've taken couscous, I've taken all of that, I've taken burger wheat, I've taken all of that. This I just want starch. I want starch and I want big meat. So you take steak or you take, I can't take steak, but you now want to take eba. But the problem with it is that you can't take meat. But like, what's the point of eba if you don't take meat, right? You know, so you're like, this time I'm going to, I'm just going to eat what's there. So you eat that and then you're fine. It's okay. And then one devilish person now comes to meet you and says, would you like some dessert? Ah. I'm like, I can resist this. It's ice cream. Surely they'll give me ice cream. And then they give you that. And I, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, what can I do with this? Like, am I really going to say no? Like, really? Especially when you are not paying for it. And what then happens after you've eaten the thing, and you are now really, you've adjusted your, you know, your button, you're taking the next level, how do you then feel after? You know, you feel bad. You like, you feel, you feel like bad. You start thinking about your life, you're like, ah, all these calories, all this, you know. And really, the question you're answering is this. What condition would I be in after that moment or a pleasure or that experience? What condition? That's why you feel bad. Because you think about the number of calories you now have to burn. You think about the consequences of what you've just done. What condition would I be in after this experience? And I want to turn that question around and say, the election itself is a particular experience. What condition as Christians will we be in after the election experience? Will we be more united as Christians or will we be more divided? I heard there was a man in the north who recently uh, had an issue with his wife. They both, uh, in 2015, voted for the ruling party. They were zealots for the ruling party, the current ruling party. As time went on, the man changed his mind. He really, really changed his mind. He, you know, he was really opposing them now. And he thought his wife would go along. She hasn't changed her mind. So this really got to the man. And he now said, you know what? Publicly, in front of people, you're my wife. You have to choose between them or choose between me. Men, let me just show advice for men. Women, close, close your ears. Don't issue threats that you, don't, you know you are not ready to you know, follow through on because the woman did not change her mind. So ultimately, the guy had to send her away. I'm sure the man is hungry every day now. But the point being, that's one family that has been divided because of politics. What would the church be like after this election has gone? You see, Paul was 
addressing a church. He didn't plant that church. He was visiting church for the first time, the church in Rome. And he wanted them to help him, to support him on his mission to Spain. Paul had preached more towards the east of the Roman Empire, Asia Minor, Macedonia, all of those places. Now he says, no, okay, I want to preach to the west, Spain. But for me to go to the west, I'm going to go through Rome. And I want them to be able to support me. You can see this in Romans chapter 15. But he found a situation in that church. They won't be able to support him properly if they themselves were not united. And they were divided a lot along ethnic lines. The result of the division, we see a lot in this Romans 14 to 15 verse 13. But what was the division? It was along ethnic lines. That's why when Paul was addressing them, quite often in this book of Romans, where you see the gospel really explained in great detail, he kept talking about Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. It always came up. See Romans 3, the Romans 1, 16 that we all know. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's a power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes. First to the Jew. And then the Gentile. 3 verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Or is God, verse 29, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Or 9, verse 23 to 24. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us? whom he called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Because their ethnic background, especially for the Jews, also was steeped in very huge theological foundations. So there were issues for them to sort out. And Paul was addressing those issues, but in addressing those matters, these disputable matters that we see in verse 1 of chapter 14, in addressing those disputable matters, Paul says, look, even though these things are important, his admonition to them was that they are not worth dividing over. Food, drink, sacred days, they're important. Politics, important. But it's not worth dividing over. And so we call this sermon divided in politics or divided in Caesar and united in Christ. And I hope that at the end of it, and hopefully at the end of the series, we would enter into this season with differences of opinion in some times, but hopefully united in Jesus Christ. So we'll look at it under these three headings. Choosing Caesar, dividing Christ, uniting Christ. Choosing Caesar, dividing Christ, uniting Christ. Let's take in the first one. Choosing Caesar. Now, there were evidently two camps here, right? You can see them. Some of them were for eating all manner of things. Some of them were vegetarians. Poor them, all right? I, 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 this letter could not have been written to Nigerian Christians, or at least to Yoruba people. Because you, you're not going to get people that say they don't eat meat, and then those that, you have to check your Yoruba-ness if you don't eat meat. Judge me, you have to check it, right? Yoruba person that cannot eat meat. And then the ones that you can see, so the, the ones about eating or vegetables, that's in verse two. But then you also see in verse 5, this one is a problem for an Igbo person, really. There are those that had sacred days. Now, you know anything about Igbo, especially in Lagos? You said they want, when it's time to go home for the end of the year, you say you can't go home. If you have some domestic workers that are working for you, you say you can't go. They are going. It's whether or not you accept them when they return, but they are going. 
So some require, they said they considered one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. So there were two camps that you could see there. Those that said, no, I have certain meats that I eat and I keep to certain sacred days, and those who couldn't care less. Now, I think those things are what we can call secondary issues. That's the way Paul looks at it. And I think when we say secondary issues, secondary issues are important issues, but they're not primary issues. And I think because politics is really important, I would say for us as Christians, it is a secondary issue. It's a secondary issue. I suppose that there are some people here who already have planted their feet among one of the two major parties. Right? There are some here that are saying APC must go. Change must. There is no change. Change must. Change. All right? Apply it. Physicians heal themselves. And some are saying we need power. Power to the people. And so you are clashing. Maybe you are here. Maybe you are in different rows. Maybe that's why you are in different rows. <laughs> or some would say, forget all of this. APC and PDP are one. I don't care whether the winner is going to come from one of them. I am voting with, in principle, third-party candidates. All right? And we may have that kind of division here, these two different camps. You see, what we mustn't do in working for unity is what Paul didn't do. Paul never relegated secondary issues in a way to say they don't matter. No, he says they, they do matter. If you try and suppress them, you only cause further division. But in fact, by calling someone's faith weak and someone's faith strong, you can see he has an opinion. Check verse 14, which we didn't read. Verse 14 of that same place. He says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean itself. So Paul had an opinion. But here's what he didn't do. Because he had an opinion on this secondary issue, Paul didn't impose that opinion. In fact, he refuses to allow the church authority to force people onto a particular stance. When he says, look, I'm fully convinced about my position, notice what he then says after. He says, but if anyone regards something as unclean, for that person it's unclean. That's why in verse 5 he says, all right, here's how we sort out this issue. Each one person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Say after me, fully convinced in their own mind. If I may say so as an aside, I think this is why it's really important. No, let me back up. How many of us have heard of the Land Use Act? Right? Land Use Act. Is an opinion on the Land Use Act important or not? Huh? All right, but do people differ on, the, on what should be done, whether it should be gotten rid of, or do people differ on it? Yes. How many of us have heard of the Central Bank of Nigeria's interest rate? I'm not saying whether you understand it. I'm not saying whether you heard about it, right? I keep flying, going over, uh, whatever. Now, should it be lower or should it be higher? I'm not sure. Some people say it should be higher. Some people say it's okay where it is because of certain economic conditions. Some people say it should be lower. Do economists agree on what should be done with the interest rate? Do they? Now, but they're important. I think with what Paul does here, I want to speak to my fellow pastors, priests, and bishops 
we need to be quiet on certain issues like this, particularly on endorsing a particular candidate or a particular party. Paul said, let everyone be fully convinced in their own mind. He's not saying that you cannot have an opinion. But he's saying you have to be very careful on how you express that opinion such that it requires those who are under you to take your own side. In that regard, they cannot fully make up their own mind. Can I go one step further? I would advise that someone serving as a pastor in that capacity should not run for political office. I'm not saying pastors can't. I'm saying whilst you are serving in the pastorate, don't run for the political office. Why? Because it makes it difficult for the people who are under you to be able to fully and independently make up their own mind. But there are other issues when you tie the church institutionally, and I would say those who lead the church represent, they embody the church institutionally in themselves. There are other issues when you tie the church to a political candidate or a political party. Especially when you come in with a does says the law kind of thing. Maybe you had one prophecy, you had one dream or something about this person. Let's say, for instance, I came today and said, because as all of you know, I'm a seasoned man of God, right? I don't know what you guys are hearing, but me, I hear God, right? More than all of you, put everything together. So I come today because I hear God. And I tell all of you, you see that person and that person and that person, they are not of God. This is our candidate. I saw it. I saw that one from the north. He cannot be. You know why? Because in one dream like this that I had, vividly, at, and you know, many people, when they have prophecy, they always give you time and date. So on the 21st of July, at, it always has to be in the morning, 3.42 a.m., I was in a vision for 18, uh, for, for, 24, not 24 hours, for 30 minutes. And I saw this pot, a boiling hot pot. It was in the north. It was in the north. It was boiling, boiling. I asked the Lord, what is this? He said, keep looking. And then the pot, the pot started to turn, and it was pouring towards the south, south, and the southeast. South, south, southeast members. And there's another that is running, and you want to vote for him. <laughs> All right. Say with me, you are stupid. No, don't say with me. I'll say, I don't mean that. <laughs> if I speak in that kind of authority, most people are going to say, I want to be on the side of God. I don't want to be against the will of God. I think that guy, is, he may not do badly, but hey, you know, you know these pastors, they see things that we, we don't see. So you fulfill that prophecy. Sorry, you, you, you vote, uh, uh, the people vote. They vote in the guy that is not from the north. And then that guy that is not from the north totally messes up. You know what happens? The credibility of the church has now been solid. Because you said, ah, ah, you saw God. Then you now start saying, well, I saw, but the problem is that you people didn't pray. You didn't pray well enough. It's always going to be our fault. The credibility of the church starts becoming questioned. There's a second thing that that thing does. Is let's say you prophesy or you tell people this is who you should. Let's say you say God has told me that I'm going to be president. And you don't become president. What happens is that you tie the destiny of the church with the performance of a particular party or candidate. 
You don't become president. Or God has said, this is the person that's going to take us from our economic doldrums and take us into a land of prosperity. And by the time he enters and when he left, the economy went down further than what he meant it. Like, is God not speaking in the church again? You tie the destiny of the church to the, fortune, the fortunes of a particular candidate. Another one is that you also tell people who come to your church. Let's say it is evident that this church, the leaders of this church, they want APC to take a second term. They may not say it explicitly, but you know how it is now. You, 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 you hint, more than hint. And you know these things. If it sounds like a dog, if it looks like a dog, what is it? And it barks like a dog, what is it? It's a dog. Say so we might as well, we start having brooms lining up this whole place, you know. But it's like, no, we're trying to sweep, you know. <laughs> and the problem is that what if somebody comes and they're wearing an MDP shirt? All right? They are, they are, they are, they are for MDP. <laughs> sorry, that, is anybody? I, I, I wouldn't even. Oh, sorry, they have a PDP cap that they're wearing. We're telling those people, you know what we're telling them? You are not welcome here. They came for Christ, but you're telling them based on politics, they're not welcome here. So we have to be careful. Don't get me wrong. The gospel itself is a political message. When you say Caesar is, uh, uh, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not, you're saying Jesus is Lord, those in Nazareth are not. That's what you're saying. It's a political message, but don't politicize it. Don't drag it down into partisan politics. Because many times people will be looking, ah, should be, you told us, you told us that this person was it. And the credibility of the church is at stake. Paul wants us, uh, without compulsion, to be able to make up our, full, our minds uh, with full conviction. But if he says mind with full conviction, that means that you have a huge responsibility. So how can I choose? Because when he says you should be persuaded in your mind, Paul is saying that you cannot and you should not conclude in an irresponsible way. If your mind has to be fully convinced, then your mind needs knowledge, it needs information. So here are some tips on how we should go about thinking or how we vote. First one, research. Research. Now, I, I, the word research, I did research a little bit in my life before. So anytime somebody came and comes to me and says, ah, this thing, this thing happened, blah, blah. I said, how do you know? He said, ah, I've done my research. Uh, <laughs> I know what that means. The research is Google and Wikipedia. That's, that's Nigeria's research, Google and Wikipedia. What? It's half of the world. OK. Well, I'm talking to you people, you, yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm not saying that is, I'm not saying Wikipedia is bad. In fact, I, I use Wikipedia quite often for a few things, right? But I'm saying that sometimes we have to, here's the thing we are in our world. Our information, the amount of information we have is both a blessing and a curse, right? We have never at any time in the world had so much information, and that's a blessing. We've never at any time and point in the world had so much information, and that's a curse as well. Because now you have so much information, there's truth there, but the problem is most times we don't know how to sort out that truth. So say with me, beware of fake news. 
okay, beware of conspiracy theories. There are so many out there. This is the problem. Like, people come up, they draw up certain things. They would look at one verse in the Bible, right? And usually from the book of Nahum, right? Because you know, Nahum, we all know Nahum is there, but we don't understand what Nahum is saying, right? How many of you understand? How many, how many chapters are in Nahum, self? You see, you see, you see, they don't know. So if somebody quotes Nahum, he then quotes one particular, um, uh, uh, he takes one quotation from somebody's uh, rally. Then he also sees one, he brings one picture together that Photoshop. He now creates a whole narrative. And now he says, beware, beware, PDP of fire. Like, eh, PDP of fire, where? look at it. I've done my research. So I'm not voting for this person. And there's so much that is out there we need to be careful about. So one antidote to that, right, is Try and use credible sources and a variety of sources. What by credible sources? People that actually have gone to school for journalism. People that actually give you better information, not just sensationalized information. In other words, don't get your politics. I'm not making a comment about the person. I'm just saying don't get your politics from Linda KG's blog. Right? That's not what, that's not what the blog is set for. Right? It's for, it's for many other things but not for politics. Amen? Yeah. All right. I said, no, I'm not going to call a few others. But beware of places that are, sens that are good at sensationalism. That is, here's another thing to encourage you guys on. As much as possible, engage with lengthier forms and reject slogans and short sales. Reject slogans and short sales. Too many people now, because we're in our social media age, 140 characters or less. So if somebody, if somebody, you go on Facebook and somebody's writing an article, you know what you do now? You see read, 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 then you now see see more, right? You, you click the see more. No, you don't. You click see more other, other things. Let me look for another video, right? You know, I'm not going to click more, see more on your own. I'm going to see more in my feed. We can't read. We don't read longer things again. And really, there are many things that require laying out a proper argument, and that requires length. You can't just say, and this is what the age where we live in. Article is corrupt. See, ah, no wonder when I saw him, that man was looking fat. You know, he's corrupt. He's corrupt. Buhari is, is, um, is ethnocentric. Say. It's true, that his accent is very, very thick. He's an ethnocentric, I won't vote for him. This is how we make up our minds. And it is a shame. If I ask all of us here, how many of us, you know that there was a Lagos um, uh, gubernatorial debate that happened? How many of us watched it live, you see? And if you didn't watch it live, you know it is actually on YouTube, free of charge. They say it's not free. I have to burn my data. Ah, for the destiny of what's going to happen in Lagos, it's too much. But there you are on. Do you used to do Crush Candy? Is that something? Candy Crush. Candy Crush. All right, all right. So that's. We are burning it on all of these things. Small, two minute video here, three minute video here, wasting our lives away. And you can't burn it for one debate that happens every four years. Kadri Ahmed sat down with major political candidates for two hours, grilled them. It was going on live on Channels TV. So I was just switched to Ebony Life. 
and you want to go and vote after. Do you know how you're going to vote? Let me tell you, you're going to vote. I don't really like him. That's how we vote. You look at the person, I don't like this one. It's too thin, it's too long. Guys, the fact that Paul says you should make up your mind and be more convinced, he's also saying that you have a huge responsibility in your hand. Let us use it well. And then let me just drop two other things. History matters. When you say you're researching, look at someone's track record. Quite often, what they do today is reflective of what they've done before. Look at it. And then finally, I would say, conscience does matter. Some people call themselves single-issue voters. Right? That means on a particular issue, if somebody does something like this, I will never vote for them. In America today, recently there were some, in some states, I think um, New York and uh, Virginia, they, they are trying to pass laws, if they've not even passed the laws, that a baby, if delivered, a baby if delivered, can still be aborted after it's delivered if the, if the abortion within the womb was botched. I don't care how good a candidate is, how credible, how competent in the economy and all of that. I would die with poverty than to vote for that kind of candidate if he, if he, if he, if, if, if he supports that. So sometimes conscience matters. Check out some of these things. Yes, you should be fully convinced in your mind, but don't do that ignorantly. Don't start abusing candidates when you've not actually engaged with them. Don't follow sensationalism. Try to read actual newspapers. Lengthy reads, yes, yeah, exactly. Opinions at the back, the back page, not the sports ones. Try and read them, engage with them. Yes, I know that our journalism is in a very bad state, but there are still some people that are doing some good things. Let's treat it with great responsibility, amen? Second, dividing Christ. Now, you can do all of this. Toby can do that, Sharon can do that, and yet both of them can still be divided. That's what happened. In fact, you see in this particular scripture, it says, because they had different opinion in verse 1, they were quarreling. Or in verse 20, it was causing others to stumble. Or in verse 21, it was causing others to fall. These disputable matters. I remember those two groups, the weak and the strong. The weak would be people who were Jewish Christians who felt some loyalty to the Mosaic law. Because don't forget, most of them have been Jews before then. This new religion now comes in. So for 1,500 years, all their people had always been united to this law that controlled not just their, their politics, it controlled their, their, their social lives, it controlled uh, their, their moral lives, their ceremonial lives. And they weren't just, they didn't feel that they could just let go like that. They believed in Jesus Christ, but they said, you know what? I still can't eat this thing. I, I, I just can't. And I don't think you should too. And then you had the strong. The strong were Gentile Christians who had no history in that whole Jewish thing. So they had no need to want to go back. Or maybe some Jewish Christians that fully understood it. And they were liberated. Now the weak were in the minority. That's why the first thing in verse 1, it says, accept those. He was talking to the strong. Accept those who are weak in faith. So the weak were the minority. And then the strong were the majority. And the weak tended to judge or they tended to judge or condemn the majorities. I don't know if you've ever been, I've been part of a minority in the Christian faith. You know what minority is? Those people who, they see things that other people don't see. You know, they, they, they've seen some revelation about the word. 
You know, maybe you are a word, maybe you give yourself a title. We were in a word circle. Other people outside there. You know, what do you know about speaking in tongues? What do you know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's not really true. Everybody's baptized in spirit. I have eternal security. You people are just, you know, they separate themselves. There is the general church, but we were the remnants. Because God always, you see them, parting their lives away. But we. The old church has forgotten about holiness. But without holiness, what? No man shall see the Lord. Look at them. So you judge them. You condemn them. Look at But Jesus said, I should love them. Shall I love you with the love of the Lord? Useless woman. And then you have the majorities. You know what the majorities are? Some of these majorities were actually, when they were growing up, they were part of the minorities, and they hated it. They hated it, but they had to go with their parents. You know, wear this thing. Don't wear that. Your, 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 your skirt must be a long skirt. must read the ankle. You can't use weave on. You can't do that. So they were like, oh, God, just get me out. So eventually they get out of university, they get a job. Mommy, I'm not going again. You know, because all those your friends used to like them when they were going to church. You know, they always look very nice. The choir people, when your parents traveled, you always visited that church. So you now see the choir people just raising up their hands, wearing lipstick, you know, giving all glory to God. I, I, I wish I could be here. So if mom, the moment you get economic independence, oh my, I'm moving there. And then you now be seeing those minorities. Look at them. That's why I said, treat them in contempt. They look down there. Look at them. See how they're just walking. Look at them. They, they look like they're in a cult. And they smell. They don't even use the odor at all. Ah, ah. Now you're smelling all nice and whatever. But I still love them, Sha. That's what God said we should do. And this is really the dynamic between minorities and majorities. Minorities always treat, judge them, uh, the majorities. They have bitterness towards them. And then the majorities look down on minorities. The same thing with politics. The majorities will feel like, I've been enlightened, politically enlightened. I, I, read, I read The Economist. Do you even know The Economist? I read The Guardian, not Nigerian Guardian, The UK Guardian, The Times. I paid the money to go beyond the paywall. I've read all of these things. What do you know? Telling me about one, and then the minority now comes and now says, Prophet, can you told us about, about um, um, uh, this guy? He said he's going to condemn Nigeria. He has an Islamic agenda. That's it. And so we look down on one, and then we treat, we judge the other one. Paul said, this thing will scatter the church. And he's saying that that would happen, and I want to point to two things that actually lead to that. One is lack of prioritization, and then the other one is tribalism, political tribalism. Lack of prioritization. If you ignore all that we've tried to build upon in the previous teachings, that is, Things that we find in the Bible that God has one true nation. It's not Nigeria, it's not Liberia, it's not America, it's not UK. One true nation is in the church. And that those people are part of, they have a dual citizenship. If you ignore all of those foundations, that dual citizenship here, but their primary citizenship is in heaven, where they're looking for a kingdom to come. If you ignore those two things, then as we see in this chart, we start to misuse our priorities. We choose politics over faith. We choose present over eternity. We choose nation over church. And we choose Christ, uh, Caesar over Christ. Now notice, it's not that those things on the left don't matter. Politics, the present, nation, and uh, Caesar, uh, current political government. It is when you make those things on the left have greater weight in your life over the things on the right, then we have a problem. 
And many times you can see what drives people more. They are more active in trying to recruit people into their party and their candidate than they are for evangelism. That is a problem. And when you have this lack of priority, you, the way you will treat somebody that disagrees with you on your own particular candidate will be a problem. The second one is political tribalism. Now let me just say tribalism itself. Tribalism, by that I mean a moral system that bases right on and wrong not on truth, but on loyalty. A moral system that bases right and wrong on loyalty rather than truth. We see this in our ethnicities. We see this in our families. In other words, this person was wrong. Why? Because he opposed me. Why should he oppose me? Ah, ah, if I die. After all these years, you couldn't believe me. After all these years. In other words, she has to believe me whether she likes it or not. Why? Because we've done things together. We are meant to be, we are part of a group. So right and wrong is about whether she opposes me. It's not whether or not I am right or wrong. It's all about loyalty. And we see this a lot. It manifests itself in what we now call identity politics. That is, you belong to this party. That party is where you are going to stand. In fact, America is going through it now, where you are not, based, you are not voting for a candidate based on their policies. You may not even know their policies. In fact, most people don't. You just know that this is my person. I think um, the current American president summed it up very well in uh, the previous election debate. Listen to the first 20 seconds of this video. The people, my people are so smart. And you know what else they say about my people? The polls. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. My people are so what? Notice what he says. I can stand in the, front, in, in the middle of Fifth Avenue, I can shoot somebody, and guess what, they still will vote for me, and that's exactly what happened. Scandal upon scandal upon scandal kept on happening, and what happened? In fact, at many, at many points, it was rising. That's why even today, in this country, somebody can be caught red-handed, red-handed dollars was being given to him. And people will say, it was not him. Yeah, like, like Shaggy. It wasn't me. <laughs> And people are like, what do you need to use to convince again? Whereas, if those same people saw somebody of the other party who allegedly was accused of something because they heard from somebody and somebody else, they said, that guy is a thief. They're the people that have spot Nigeria. They spot Nigeria. That guy is a thief. You will see something very clear here. You will say, no, 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 no. And this other one, you say yes. You see, those are symptoms of tribalism, whereby your side, when I'm talking to Toki, Toki, I'll say, your side is always wrong. Your candidate, your party, they are always what? Wrong. It doesn't matter what they do. They will always be what? Wrong. So even when they actually build a road, you say, I'm sure 90% of the money that was used for building that road, they've actually pocketed it. Evidence, uncle. That's the problem. You people, all you people that go to school, you're always saying evidence. Can't you see it? Look at the car his wife is driving. He hasn't seen that car. Somebody told him about the car. Tribalism. Second is that my own side is what? He's right. No matter what, you can always justify 
what the person has done. But if you are not able to justify that, if somebody comes and gives you evidence about your side being wrong, you know what you're going to do? You will counter it with, you say, even, uh, oh, sorry, go to the next one. So if they give you evidence, they will defend, they start to defend the indefensible for my side by using arguments, uh, argumentative style I almost never use. We're like, ah, but why are you arguing? Faith, why are you arguing like this now? You never argue like this in other things. But you're able to somehow defend the indefensible. Or if they give you evidence that your side is so wrong, you know what you do? You defend your side's flaws by just countering it another one. He said, this guy, look at, he was recently charged for this. And don't you remember in 2015, this other person too, your own person too was charged for that. Like, does that make that one right? Both of them are wrong. But you, because you, you are so tribal, you have to be loyal, you can't accept that your person is wrong. That is a problem and must never enter into the church. Paul in verse, uh, in verse 20 says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of secondary issues. I hope we're hearing. Do not destroy the work of God, the unity of the body of Christ because of your political differences. Don't become so tribal that you forget that this person is my, is my, my, my brother or sister in Christ. Please be passionate about your candidates, but be careful not to use it to destroy the work of God. Amen. Amen. Final one. Uniting Christ. Now, Paul, remember, he says that they should accept one. In fact, in verse 7 of chapter 15, the next chapter, he says, accept one another. And later, he specifically speaks to both groups. So to the strong, in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, accept those whose faith is weak. But also to the, um, to the, uh, to the weak, in verses 3 to 4, he's also saying that, look, leave this person. Don't judge this person. Leave him to his own master. What's the basis of this unity? Well, the basis of this unity is what Christ has accomplished and what, uh, using it as, uh, what Christ has accomplished and also following his example. If you notice in verse 9, he says, For this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he may be Lord of both the dead and the living. He died, he rose again, and he's Lord. Really, this is the gospel. And so in verse 6 to 8, he says, Look, this person... He doesn't believe as you do, but this person is living his life unto Christ. He's living his life unto his master. Bumi, Christ died for her. Christ rose again, and Christ is now Lord of her life. She's accepted that, so Bumi, with her mind fully convinced, you may still disagree, but with her mind fully convinced, she's doing and living that life unto the Lord. You also, with your mind fully convinced, live that life unto the Lord. Both of you can still be united in your differences because Christ died, rose, and is Lord for both of you. Can you unite in that or can you look at the differences and say, what kind of Christian is this? And therefore destroy the work of God. I want to take you to a particular passage in Ephesians, but also I should say this thing about the example. In verse 3 of chapter 15 and verse 6 and 7, listen to what he says. He says, for even Christ did not please himself. 
So may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One mind. One mind. Let him give you that same attitude. One mind. So that with that one mind and with that one voice we may glorify God. And yet he's saying it is possible to have that despite the fact that we have different minds in our politics. Which one comes higher? Which one takes priority? Because he says, look, this rambling is not reflective of the kingdom of God. This division is not reflective of the kingdom of God because of food, because of drink, because of meat, because of politics. So later in verse 17, it says, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, peace. So achieve that peace and joy. Despite your differences, and your, you can have peace that leads to joy because of what Christ has accomplished. Let me take you to a passage in Ephesians 2 that we used to round up. I'll give us some examples of how to go about this. But this passage is really important. In Ephesians chapter um, uh, 3, um, we're going to go to verse 4 to 6. Paul is going to say something. He's going to show us what God has accomplished and the means through which he accomplished it. But he's going to show us two things that God seeks to accomplish and the two means. The first one is this. Look at verse 4. In reading this then, we want to talk about the mystery of Christ. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is nothing esoteric. Don't allow anybody to start telling you, ah, do you know what the mystery, the mystery is? Paul is saying it was a mystery. It was not known before, but now it's known, and I'm going to tell you what it is. The mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, say through the gospel. So that's the means. He's going to achieve something, but the means is the gospel. Through the gospel, the Gentiles and the, and the uh, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Do you see? God has been able to accomplish a unity that your ethnic, our different ethnicities cannot bring together. A unity that our different politics, our different genders cannot bring together. Our different socioeconomic statuses cannot bring together. He has achieved that. How? Through the gospel. Everyone is looking for unity and diversity. And the moment we get into it, we start to see where our differences come. The diversity leads to difference and that leads to division. And he's saying there is a greater reality, an eternal reality that I have achieved through the gospel. And he unites people who are Jews and Gentiles, Yorubas and Igbos, Efik and Hausas, APC and PDP, progressives and liberals, uh, progressives and conservatives. He brings them all together in the gospel if they embrace it. You know, one of the big problems we have in our world today, in our politics, is a lack of civility. Lack of civility. People disagree and they start yelling at each other. They start insulting each other. They start mocking each other. That's what we see in our political world. Can they see something different? Well, God says, well, in the gospel, I've achieved something. But how they react? How, how can people see what civility should look like? That would require a lot of wisdom, wouldn't it? Well, God says, I can show them the manifold wisdom. What is the means he's going to use to achieve that? Look at verse 11. His intent was that now 
through the church. Say through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. Guys, here's what it's saying. The world out there, divided in all their opinions, should look at you and I with our differences of opinion and see the manifold wisdom of God of how you can achieve unity despite the differences that people should have. When we go into this election, will we come out more different or will we come out just looking like what the world looks like? Will we be able to show the world a difference that look at what Christ has done? There are people here in this church that believe APC, that believe PDP, that believe MDP, and they love each other because of what Christ has done. The gospel is the means to achieve that unity, but the church is the means to express that unity. That manifold wisdom of God. It does not destroy the work of God because of politics as important as it is. Now let me leave you a final thing. In verse 19, Paul says, this, though it has been accomplished already in eternity, it requires effort. We should pursue it, this peace with effort and for mutual edification. Here are some tips, five tips to achieve that. One, Enter arguments genuinely open to changing your mind. Many times we don't. I'm not saying enter an argument from a place of neutrality. That's impossible. We all go in with certain opinions already. But can you enter an argument with the, uh, with the genuine, uh, um, genuinely open to changing your mind? You may not change it, but if somebody brings evidence that supersedes what you already have. If somebody answers all your reservations and your questions, why shouldn't you be willing to change your mind? Most times we see it as the person has won me. You know, we see it as a battle. And that never advances the betterment of society. Second, genuinely listen and understand your opponent's point of view. If you're going with an open mind, you really listen. The problem is if your mind is closed, your ears are closed. So when people are shouting, my own, your own, they talk across each other, they're not actually engaging. Go in, listen. Somebody once said that I think is a very good principle. I've tried to hold to it myself in arguing with people. It says this, when you argue with someone, you should be able to state your opponent's um, position in a way that your opponent will say, I couldn't have said that better. But quite often what happens is like, you say a particular thing, but if you say, but that's not what I said. Now, that's not what I said. Like, no, that's what you said. Then you start arguing about what you said and not arguing about what the real thing is because we are not listening. Third, be prepared to let go. That is, agree to disagree for a while. Now, you can actually enter an argument. We can both listen, lay it down, and still the other person isn't convinced. The problem is that many times, the fact that you have put in so much effort, you feel like, I have given a slam dunk argument. You can't come back from this. So when the person refuses, you almost feel like, what? Where are you going? You can't refuse. No, sit down. You're going to, you're going to, actually, you're going to submit to this argument. Be prepared to let go. That's what Paul was saying in verse 6 to 8. He's living his life unto the Lord. Don't judge another person's servant. We've engaged. We've talked about it for 20 minutes. 
But I don't think we need to give. Let's just agree to what? Next, quickly. For civility. Show respect to people at all times. You can disrespect somebody's argument, but don't disrespect the person. You know, sometimes the problem is that we are too enraptured in our own argument. Our argument has become a badge of self-identity. So when somebody refuses it, we feel like he's refused us. And so when somebody disrespects our argument, we feel like they disrespected us and we do the same fire for fire. It is possible. Christian civility requires that you can respect someone. You don't descend into insults. You don't look down the person because they disagree with you. Respect someone at all times. And then finally, all the other things I've said is in a way preventative. Let's go on the offense. By that I mean that we should fellowship together with church opponents. Look, let me break that down. That means you should meet together, you should worship together, we should pray together, we should go out together, and we should do what? We should study together. If you do all these things, the unity that Christ has already accomplished becomes formed in us. So that when we meet in our politics and we disagree, I can love you as we do that. We can laugh. We can even go to dinner after. But if we are not building strength by meeting together, as Acts chapter 2 tells us, if we are not studying together, if we are not loving on each other, there will not be that sense of unity. It will be easy to break because there are already cracks there. So let's not neglect the fellowship or the fellowship of the believers as some are in the habit of doing. Guys, we are going into this season, into this election. Let's vote to the best of our knowledge and full conviction of mind. Let's engage our politics. But let us also show the world in our attitude, the mystery of Christ, that though we may be divided in our politics, we would always be united in Christ. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos